being said, open up your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 15. We return back to our series in Exodus entitled Delivered to Dwell. It was a sweet and refreshing time away for me and my family last week, encouraging to hear from Dr. Renner and to just see the support uh, that he received from you all is also encouraging. But now we're back. We're back into Exodus. And all the good stuff is done because now we get to enter into three straight weeks of grumbling. Let's consider Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we ask for your grace to be with us in the preaching of this, your word, in the hearing of it, the receiving of it, the believing, the trusting. God, would you do a transforming work in us as we consider our passage together today. We pray it for your glory, and we pray it for our good, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned, today begins a three-week journey, if you will, of grumbling people and a gracious God. A grumbling people who have been radically redeemed and rescued and a gracious God. Now, I, I already dipped in there a little bit, but I really am vowing to not make silly jokes about grumbling people in church. Carpet color, music styles. It's all, when we see this here, it's all too serious for that. It's way more serious than to be treated so casually. I'm also not going to overlook the timing of things. This series was scheduled out months ago. And it seems, at least for me, as we've been going through it, it feels so relevant to what we are going in broadly as a people, as a culture and society. It seems incredibly relevant for us right now in the middle of a pandemic. Preparing for our annual meeting, voting on future leaders, discussing what ministries can and can't be done during these strange days, with the ongoing call for prayer, for wisdom and unity and gospel growth. And and there would be so many reasons for us to grumble right now. To complain. It'd be very easy for us to do it. It may be we have to fight against that in our own hearts before it comes out 
of our mouths. So how then, how then do we be a people in light of a pandemic, in light of a stressed out, tense, anxious culture and society, in light of unknowns of what the next three months, six months, nine months might look like, how do we then be a people who don't grumble? That's what sat on my heart this week, especially in light of three consecutive stories and visual stories of grumbling people in light of a gracious God. So how do we not grumble? Well, if there is anything we need right now, desperately so, is that we would be a people who are satisfied in God alone, who God is our ultimate satisfaction of our hearts, our heads, and our very lives. That we would be a people satisfied in God. And therefore, because our satisfaction is in Him, our hearts and our very lives are transformed to then glorify Him in the manner in which we live. That how we go about living, how we go about speaking, how we go about typing, how we go about interacting, how we go about ourselves would be about glorifying God, following Him. Living for Him. Living in light of how He wants us to live. And when a heart is satisfied in Him, sees His worth and His value and His works and His ways and His word and wants it, then that heart is equipped then to go about glorifying Him in the way that we live. Because that's really at the heart of all three of these grumbling stories. There's a people with a wayward heart, not satisfied in Him, wanting something else to satisfy them, grumbling when that something else doesn't. Therefore, not living for God's glory. It's a lesson for us all. It's a lesson for me. It cuts deep. And so here we go. Let's jump in and let's consider this. So as we do jump in and consider this, we see that God does a healing work in His people. Again, It's a grumbling people before an overwhelmingly gracious God. An overwhelmingly gracious God. And in the healing of a grumbling people, we learn a couple of things. That we are to be satisfied in Him. That we are to be satisfied in God. And then secondly... God is to be glorified in us. That we are to be satisfied in Him and that He is to be glorified in and through us. Let's consider that together this morning. First is we are to be satisfied in God. And that gets put to the test here on the heels of this incredible victory over Egypt This radical rescue brought out of slavery, brought out of actual physical oppression, brought up and out of this place that was systemically against the people of God in every possible way, brought across a sea sea of water on dry ground and watched the rage-filled pursuing enemy get overwhelmed by that very water. They sang, they rejoiced, 
And now it was time to see the salvation of the Lord and go forward. So here we are. Right away, led out into then the wilderness. And that being led out into the wilderness is really a picture of life. It is a picture of what life looks like, feels like, sounds like. The challenges and obstacles, they may be practically different than what the people of God faced in the wilderness in Exodus 15. But principally, they are not. And let's not lose sight of the fact that Yahweh led them out into the wilderness. Yahweh led them out. Look at verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. That's an important moment there. As they are now, every step forward is one that is in light of this radical freedom that God has secured for them. The enemy is not chasing them. Can you imagine that? Every step forward is in light of salvation. And God leads them into the wilderness. Because you can't forget what we saw earlier in Exodus 13, verse 22. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Moses, yes, was leading the people, but he was leading the people to follow Yahweh's leading. Again, this is to to recall to mind some of the themes and thoughts that we've taken away from our series is God brings about this great deliverance so that the people of God can dwell with him. And that dwelling is one of worship and faithfulness, hearts set on him and lives that are living for him. Or as we considered a couple of weeks ago, that they would be a people who see the salvation of their Lord and go forward. And so here, God is leading them into the wilderness where that worship and faithfulness would be put to the test. Where that seeing and going forward would, be, would, would face some obstacles. And wilderness really is the picture of life between faith and sight. Between cross and glory. To be in the wilderness where things aren't quite as they should be. Where the, where the comfort isn't quite where it should be. The, the joys aren't quite where they're supposed to be. How many of you can relate to feeling like you're in a wilderness? Whether it's right now or at other seasons in your life. This in-betweenness. So much of the Christian life is that set in the context of wilderness. And in that wilderness, we find a desperate situation that revealed how the people of God were to find their ultimate satisfaction in Him. The Israelites were rescued and redeemed, and they began their journey to the land promised them. A journey through the bitterness of Wilderness, the bitter wilderness. The Christian is rescued and redeemed and is also on a journey to to the place of glory. One that goes through hardships and temptations and trials and struggles of a sinful, broken, wild world. 
So much of this picture of this journey in the wilderness is is foundational for the Christian to understand his or her life. To, To know that your days are now in between. The days of in the wilderness. What would that do to see that? What would that do to your expectations or your hopes or your pursuits? How would that transform how much stock you put into them when you see you're just in the wilderness in between rescue and glory? Now, as they are on this initial journey, we see three significant things occur. First, the water at a place called Mara is bitter. Bitter. There, there's, there's an overwhelming amount of minerals in the water. You can't drink it. You get sick. Look at verses 22 and 23 of Exodus 15. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. They came to Mara. They could not drink the water because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. Imagine the sense of urgency and panic that must have ensued when they arrived at a place that had water, but then the water was not drinkable. I mean, what a visual and visceral scene that captures the struggles and challenges in this life. We expect life to go a certain way. We think certain things should bring us happiness or contentment or satisfaction. Yet, if we're all honest, no matter our age in here, no matter what stage of life we might be in, much of life on this side of glory is broken. And the, and the joy and the satisfaction we chase, whether that's in things or people or expectations, all that chasing we have, it just leads us to frustration, angst, and what we see here, bitterness. Bitterness. Significant thing to occur in this initial wilderness journey is not only do they arrive at a place that is bitter, they become a bitter people. They grumble. The people grumble. Look at verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, grumble is too soft of a word for us here. Grumble is, is not strong enough. At least the English word grumble is not strong enough here. I mean, we grumble about red lights, right? I want to write a children's book called All the Lights Are Red. Just to talk about the frustrations of life. We grumble over little things, right? No. Grumble here is really... Are you ready for this? Keep the context in mind. The ten plagues, the radical rescue, 
the Red Sea. All very immediate experiences. Grumble really is faithless, doubt-filled rebellion. That's what this grumble is. It's not what you do when you're on whatever Dunstable Road this is. There are too many Dunstable Roads, by the way. East, West, Mid, you know, I, what? Middle Earth, Dunstable Road. I don't understand, like, why everything has to be a Dunstable. Not in the notes. Anyway, you get out on there, and all you want to do is go over the bridge, but 17 red lights stand in the way. And so you grumble. No. No, no. This is rebellion against God. That's what's on display here in the hearts of the people, in their lips and their lives. Even though Yahweh led them into the wilderness, they're following these pillars, the people dumped it all on Moses. It revealed that their hearts were not squarely resting in Yahweh, who brought them out of Egypt and across the Red Sea. So the people grumble. The water is bitter. It cannot be, it cannot be used. And the people grumble. The bitterness of that water becomes a bitter people. And the third significant thing that we find here is so overwhelmingly amazing. So overwhelmingly amazing. Yahweh sweetens the water. Just stop and just let that staggering moment sink in for a moment. What hasn't Yahweh done for these people? And yet they rebel in their hearts against him. And yet again, Yahweh sweetens the bitter water. Look at verse 25. And he, Moses, cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it in the water. And the water became sweet. What an astounding miracle that is to bring the people of God onto their knees to see that only God can satisfy their hearts. That their hearts are made for Him. That their hearts were created and redeemed and rescued for Him. And God, through Moses, has Moses throw a log, or another word for that, tree, into the water. And before we try to explain away this on some sort of scientific endeavor, this was a supernatural miracle. Yahweh was showing, I'm Yahweh. Don't you remember this? But he was showing it to them through his grace. He sweetens the water so that they could drink. And that log or tree that is thrown into the water is a motif that finds its greater fulfillment when we see a tree at the heart of what God does to sweeten the bitterness of our sin-filled lives through the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
God's still throwing trees into bitter water. First Peter. Chapter 2, verse 24. He, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This incredible motif of this tree making this bitterness sweet reaches its crescendo in the most darkest of days when Christ dies on a cross. Yahweh, God, is so full of grace for rebellious, grumbling people. What remarkable good news. Christ is God's means to sweeten our lives from the bitterness and rebellion of our sin. So, in light of these incredible moments, bitter water, grumbling people, and a God who sweetens the water so that they would drink. We are, we are left with this visual, visceral, experiential picture in front of us that only God satisfies the human heart. Nothing that you could chase, nothing that you could call ultimate, can ever do what God does. Nothing. Guard your heart from placing ultimacy on things that are not God. Yes, our lives are filled with good things. And it is right to pursue good things. But if those good things become ultimate, then they will only be a source of bitterness. And when our hearts are bitter, we certainly don't want to live for His glory. And it leads us to consider some things in our second point. First point is that we are to be satisfied in God alone. In the wilderness of this life, in between cross and glory, between faith and sight, we are on a journey in the wilderness, and our constant reminder is that our hearts are to be satisfied in God alone. Secondly, God is to be then glorified in us, through us. Following uh, the, the radical rescue and the deliverance from slavery and the crossing of the Red Sea, we see the people of God get tested. Tested if they're going to follow the Lord and that they would follow the Lord through faith. And this picture here and next week and in two weeks is a picture of failure and grace. It's a failure to follow, to live for God's glory, but yet it is an overwhelming picture of God's grace. The people are tested, they fail, and yet they are graced. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Tested, failed, graced. What student in here wouldn't want that, <laughs> that story to be theirs this fall? I was tested, I failed, but God was gracious. <laughs> Tested, failed, and grace. Let's look again at verses 25 and 26. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule 
And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all the statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. The wilderness is that place where God drives his people back to himself again and again and again and again. Where we wrestle with that, who or what else can satisfy our longings? Who or what else can be ultimate in our hearts? There is no one or nothing else that qualifies. And God, sometimes, many times, maybe most of the time, through trials and hardships and wilderness, brings us to see that again and again and again, so that we would have hearts satisfied in Him and lives that would long to bring Him glory, following after Him, living how He would want us to live. We sing a song often here, Come Thou Fount. There's a line in it. Bind my wandering heart to Thee. And maybe that line sticks with you as it does with me. Sometimes that prayer component of that song is painful. Sometimes it is painful when God binds our wandering hearts to Him. Sometimes we experience hardships that God sovereignly uses to drive us back to Him, to cling to Him, to trust Him, to love Him, Follow him. And the purpose of bringing the people of God back to himself is so that they would live for him and his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church. If you are familiar with those letters in the New Testament, you know this was a very challenging church. You know that it was filled with grumbling and all sorts of obstacles and sin and brokenness and entitlements. They wanted the famous preacher to be their preacher. They had had all the trappings, if you will, of the modern-day church. And Paul wrote two letters, well, three. We have two in our New Testament. And in chapter 10... He draws on the very book we are in. In fact, the very section that we are in. And applies it to the Corinthians and also, since it's God's word, it is applied to us. So he draws on the way the people acted in the wilderness. And he draws on the way that God acted in their rescue and in his grace. And he says this in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. So we look back here into Exodus, and it's not just this story that we throw on a felt board. It's not just this like thing that we read through and like, wow, that was interesting. But it is actually used by God in our hearts to instruct us so that we would live for His glory. 
We are also to have hearts satisfied in God alone. And as such, God is then to be glorified through our lives. That the challenge here as we consider Mara and the bitter waters and the grumbling people and the sweetened water by Yahweh is that we would also right now in this very moment with masks on our face that we would see God as worthy and not grumble. And in this moment right now with the unknown of how long this sort of displaced, strange day will have an impact on our ministry that we, with all of that in mind, and yet still seeing God as worthy, that we would live as if God is worthy. And we would set aside the things that we want to grumble about. Because God is so amazing and His grace is so real and it is so relevant to us right now that we want to make much of Him, not our preferences. I say that to my own heart as I say it to us a church. How different we would sound and serve and act if we were doing that out of the overflow of hearts saturated with the worthiness of God and an eagerness to live for His glory. I don't care who's president. I don't care what is happening with our state and restrictions and our city and masks. I don't care. Because God is so Far more amazing than my thoughts on any of those things. And so worth living for his glory. That I would say, what an awesome privilege and opportunity we have right now. To make much of the God of all grace. Through lives that are transformed and sound like grace. Oh, that we would see God is worthy. And so live for his glory. And this comes to us by grace through faith. How kind of God. And while the bitterness and the grumbling certainly sound loudly in this passage. The melody of God's grace overtakes it. Look at verses 26 and 27. For I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Wow. Wow. Yet in their failure... And in ours, God reveals more of himself 
by means of an incorruptible grace, their grumbling isn't going to cause God to stop being gracious. No, he is Yahweh. And not only that, he reveals more of that Yahweh. He is the Lord, their healer. Healer. Healer from the bitterness of sin. And a healer of chasing after something else as ultimate. Healer so that we could have hearts satisfied in him. And yet, in their failure and in ours, God heals and leads them on. He leads them on in his grace. Elam is a place of plentiful refreshment and provision. God in his grace took a grumbling people onward to more of his grace. So if you're like me and you feel like a failure sometimes, or you know you failed X amount of times over the course of this week, and you know that you struggle with bitterness and you struggle with grumbling, and if you feel those things, guess what? God has more grace than you have grumbling. And what he is leading you on to is grace upon grace upon grace. The good news for those of us who have failed and feel like failures, God is your healer. God makes your bitter water sweet. And he does so through your Savior, Jesus Christ. It was the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Who is our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification revealed to us now and forevermore. Who is all these things for us, to us and in us. Nothing else can satisfy your soul. Look to him. Look to him through faith and toss aside the penchant to grumble. Leave behind your pride and your entitlement and embrace the tree that Christ embraced for you. And let us see the grace of our God and go forward. For there is more grace yet to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that in it we see you drive us to you. I pray that we would not find anything else in this life to be on par or in the same neighborhood or ballpark as you. God, may we be overwhelmed by your glory and grace. May our hearts be so satisfied in you that we cannot wait to live for your glory. And may the words of our mouths, the typing of our keyboards, may the interactions that we have with those in this church and outside of you, outside of the church, may they all be done with such dignity and hope and grace that you indeed would be glorified. God, we do pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen and amen.